I'm Kaylin. And I'm Logan. And this is Bones, a true crime podcast. The case we have for you this week is possibly one of our most suggested. We have had so many messages and emails regarding it, but we had a really hard time digging up the information. We're going to be talking about the disappearance and murder of Brandon Wood. He reportedly left a property in rural Douglas County and was never seen alive again. Like most of our small-town cases, almost every road leads back to drugs, and we are heavy on the rumors and speculation this week. Yes, so hopefully um, everyone will be happy with this week's episode. Like you said, I know it's one of the ones that was suggested to us most on socials as well as through our email. Um, With that being said... If anyone out there after listening to the episode wants to add any information that maybe we did not didn't get, we would be willing to do maybe like a little mini episode or even like just a little tidbit before our next episode just to fill you guys in because I know sometimes um, people don't hear about our podcast or don't hear about the episode until you know, after people listen to it. And I feel like there's more um, PR then. So if anyone has anything after this week's episode is released and wants to shoot us an email, we'd be happy to add any information that maybe got left out. So with that being said, if you guys want to see pictures or information related to this week's case, you can, of course, follow us on Instagram at Bones, a true crime pod. Or like our Facebook page, Bones, a true crime podcast. And you can also email us with any questions or more case suggestions at Bones, a true crime podcast at gmail.com. All right, Kaylin, let's go for it. So Brandon Lee Wood was a white male with hazel eyes and strawberry blonde hair. Brandon weighed about 170 pounds and was approximately 5 foot 6 inches tall. Um, Brandon was last seen wearing a green t-shirt, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes. Brandon had several tattoos, including a full sleeve on his right arm, dollar signs on both palms, and a skull and heart on his left torso. I actually vividly remember the missing persons flyer that went around when he first went missing, and the shirt that he was wearing in the picture. I think we would have been, like, freshmen. Maybe. I know we were still in high school. We were in high school, for sure. Um, But I just remember, like, social media is a big deal when you're in high school and seeing his post shared, like, all the time. The shirt that he was wearing in the picture was either similar to or exactly the one that he was actually wearing when he went missing. I think when I shared the flyer, um, the time that I announced we were going to do this case, that a lot of people were confused. I didn't realize that so many people weren't aware that some of his remains had been found and some thought that we didn't know that I just felt like it was one of the best images to share because it was so nostalgic yes I agree I feel like even if you aren't familiar with him or this case when you see that flyer it's gonna pop something up in your brain because it was everywhere on social media I know it was at local places around Ava, around Mountain Grove. So I feel like once people see that flyer, they're going to know kind of what case we're talking about at least. Yeah, I think so too. 
And Brandon was just 23 years old when he disappeared from Ava, Missouri. He was actually living in Mountain Grove, but he was just in Ava when he disappeared. So like Logan had mentioned, um, there were flyers around Mountain Grove too. It's because he was missing from Ava, but he was living in Mountain Grove at that time. So it was kind of both areas that they were spreading awareness of his disappearance. Brandon Wood was born in Houston to his mother, Deborah Wood, and his father, Randy Wood, on January 23rd of 1992. Brandon's mother and father have both actually passed away. Um, they passed before he did, but he still had his three sisters, a brother, and multiple nieces and nephews that loved him and advocated for him. I wanted to add that both of his parents' obituaries did have other siblings listed, I wasn't able to hear back from any of the siblings to explain that, but either way, he had a pretty big family. Um, those were just the ones that most people talk about are the three sisters and one brother. Brandon supposedly did have a difficult childhood that led him to making choices that weren't ideal through his life in order to cope with this childhood trauma. We were told that he was sexually assaulted as a child, and he also suffered from PTSD. Crimes against children really get my blood boiling, and I hate that he had to experience something so tragic. I think we see this often, though, in the cases that we hear about, and it's really sad. I know everyone has free will to decide their own future, but I just feel especially sympathetic when kids start using drugs or alcohol to cope with a situation that they had to deal with young in life. I mean, he didn't choose to be assaulted or have to deal with these things, and that's just how he found that he could cope. Once someone's addicted to a substance, though, it can be so hard for them to stop using it and to go down the right path again. When kids make decisions to do drugs, they don't have any idea what they're doing to their future, and most of the time I feel like they're just not thinking past the day that they're currently living in. I agree. I feel like you see this a lot um, with childhood trauma, and I don't know if this was the case for Brandon, but... If it's kind of the path that your parents go down, it's like generational. So maybe you go down that path as well because you don't know any better. And I feel like that happens a lot um, in the Ozarks, unfortunately. I feel like a lot of our cases that have been suggested, unfortunately, all lead back to drugs which can be pretty scary, I feel like, especially for us, especially if it's more recent. Um, but hopefully someone is hearing this and maybe is going through something and wants to stop that generational trauma and that chain. So maybe by covering these cases, we can help someone out. I hope so. I don't really know. You mentioned his parents. I don't necessarily know that they did that. Um, it seems like his siblings are on a good path. I don't really know. I just saw their Facebook pages. But if just one person turned out to use drugs to cope, maybe it wasn't from his family. It could have just been right. his tragic, um, tragic things that happened in his life. And though Brandon didn't always make the best choices, he wasn't a bad person. Brandon was described as tender and good-hearted, despite what hardships life has thrown him. He was a brother, son, friend, and uncle. He was loved by so many, and they still post memories of him to this day. 
you can check his Facebook post or his Facebook page and there's all kinds of posts tagging him that they miss him and they love him and they wish he was here for different life events. He really enjoyed skateboarding and drawing. I recently saw a friend of his post about a new tattoo and it was actually one that Brandon had drawn and I know that he had tattoos um, so I don't know if he had drawn any of them himself but it seems like he was pretty creative. This quote actually came from Brandon's obituary. It said, someone who could make you laugh on a difficult day. He was well known for his contagious smile and good sense of humor. Brandon was a talented artist in both drawing and tattooing. Brandon had a tender spot for animals and always went out of his way to adopt any stray dogs he found. Brandon would also be witnessed singing to others to uplift their spirits. He truly had a big heart and will be dearly missed. He will continue to be carried in the hearts of all of those who loved him. On September 6th of 2015, Brandon was seen entering a gold vehicle that was believed to be driving towards Ava with some friends. Brandon later called someone to pick him up at Dollar General in Ava. Ava is located about 30 miles southwest of Mountain Grove. I don't know where he was at in Grove, but it just typically takes 30 minutes to get from one to the other. It's what I plan for anyways when we're like going to appointments or whatever. So once Brandon arrived at Dollar General, he left to go to Casey's. And when he was at Casey's, he was in... When he was at Casey's, he was with different friends than who he arrived to town with. And these friends were going to take him to a residence in Douglas County. The Casey's that Brandon was last seen at is the one across town from Dollar General. So he was seen with his two friends, Alexander and Diane. It was the Casey's right off of Five Highway for our locals. It was not the Casey's closest to Dollar General. Um, it's the one by the four-way. The residence Brandon is believed to have gone to is in a remote area in Douglas County. Pretty much every area in Douglas County is remote if you're not in town. So this isn't really too surprising. It's not like they took him out to this area um, because it was so far away. It just, I mean, most people just kind of live out in the sticks. Brandon was said to have walked away from the residence and then just vanished into thin air. Brandon's family was actually the ones that reported him missing. We think it was his sister because it was not common for him to go much time without checking in with her. So she reported him missing after 48 hours of no contact. I wasn't able to confirm this with her, but it seems like the family was pretty aware that Brandon ran with a rough crowd. They weren't oblivious to his activities, but they did want him to get back on the right path, and they knew he wasn't a bad person. I'm thinking that Brandon likely checked in with his sister often just for her own peace of mind, and like we mentioned, his parents did pass, so maybe she kind of took over that role. I also wonder if it wasn't just for accountability, because we'll find out later that he was supposed to be clean at the time um, that he disappeared. One of his older sisters, the one who I actually just mentioned, stayed active on Brandon's social media and in the media in general to attempt to help find her baby brother. We didn't hear back from her regarding an interview, so we're making a lot of assumptions. 
but I can understand that this is probably hard to talk about. Some people didn't want to talk to us also because they said that it was dangerous. We don't necessarily know if that's why she didn't want to, but um, it's understandable no matter what if the family doesn't want to be involved. We just want to share the story and get what information we can out. Over 30 people were said to have been interviewed, and multiple agencies have been involved in working on the case of Brandon Wood. The Douglas County Sheriff, Missouri State Highway Patrol, and Wright County Sheriff's Department all worked together on this case that we know of. So, I have a few questions, and maybe you can answer, maybe you can't. Like like we talked about before, I know info is pretty limited um, on this case, but when you said that he kind of disappeared into thin air, do you know why? Like, was there an argument when he went with his friends to this house? Was he trying to go home? Or is that really all we've gotten? So I'll kind of explain this a little bit more later um, and go into some of the theories. But... From what it seems like everybody that was at the residence says, Brandon was just leaving. He was, there wasn't okay. anything that happened. Nobody was upset. He was just heading out. Um, so he really just walked out and disappeared. And I mean, okay. he did kind of, it seems like he kind of flew by the seat of his pants. I mean, he went to Ava with a group of people and then just called whoever else he could to come get him once he got there so maybe he just kind of right um lived his life like that like just kind of going wherever um the wind blew him I'm not sure but that is the story that we were told and that was all we knew for a long time we knew Brandon disappeared his family wanted him home and rumors circulated that it was drug related the case went quiet for quite some time, but the day after Christmas in 2020, the case would have a big break. On December 26th of 2020, partial remains, including a skull, were found 15 miles east of Ava near County Road 126. These remains were uncovered when the land was being dug up to build a new house, and there were immediate assumptions that it belonged to, that they belonged to Brandon. This property bordered the residence that Brandon disappeared from, from what I've read online. Um, it seems like the remains, I mean, we know the remains were buried, so there was foul play suspected in Brandon's disappearance, and it would make sense that if a body just magically appeared, like, nearby, that's who they would assume it belonged to. Even if Brandon's actual death was accidental, he could not have buried himself, so someone at least was responsible for hiding his body or there was some kind of motive behind that, but we'll kind of talk more about that later. Just a few days after finding the remains on December 29th of 2020, dental records were able to confirm that the remains did belong to Brandon. I don't think this was a shock for law enforcement, but of course it had to be done just for confirmation purposes. This same area that Brandon was found was also searched in 2015 on horseback with dogs, but nothing was found. I know that cadaver dogs get a lot of credit, and I think they have a great purpose. But this is an example of how, this is an example of how nothing is perfect. 
there's always room for error. And because of that, I think that there's always hope, even in these older cases, that remains can be recovered. I know sometimes it seems like people talk about, well, cadaver dog searched the area and nothing was found, so she must not have been there or he must not have been there. But it's just not something that you can actually say for sure. Um, because just like humans, they, we all can make mistakes. The construction area is what unearthed this new evidence and brought details to the case that wouldn't have otherwise been confirmed, though they could have been suspected. Krista Gase told KY3 after finding the remains that he knew some of the people interviewed initially had lied to them, so he wanted to know why. We'll touch on this a little more later. I'm not sure if he had suspected from the beginning that they were lying to him, but he knew for sure they had once the remains were unearthed. Brandon's sister, Maria, said to KY3, I was in shock when I seen Sheriff DeGase. A brick wall, the wind was knocked out of me. I can only imagine what it feels like to be a family member living with the unknown every day. I'm sure that you're a little bit relieved to know what happened, but you're also probably so heartbroken that you can't have the hope of him one day returning and really just coming back into your life. I agree. That has to be tough because, I mean, I know she knew why the sheriff was there and I can't imagine. I mean, I know she was hoping for it and praying for it for that day to come, but just being in that moment, I'm sure it was so difficult. So Sheriff DeGase, who we also mentioned in the case of Renee Williams, told KY3, we have spent a lot of time looking for him, and we were very, for a lack of better words, we were happy to bring home closure to this family. So that kind of just reiterates what we were saying. Like, it's just a bittersweet moment. At least you can kind of bring some kind of answers to the family, and they don't have to go their whole lives wondering. But now they're in a position of wondering what happened, why did it happen, and who is going to be held accountable. One of the articles I found stated that there were three persons of interest. I found several more than that in the rumors around town, just from what local people suspect. I don't know who is actually considered a person of interest in the case or if any of the people I'm about to tell you about are, but I'm just telling you what we have. So I'm going to talk about the people who were most mentioned to me. Um, there was a suspect interviewed during 2015 and 2016 that seemed plausible, but he requested an attorney and they couldn't get anything else out of him. We don't know the name of the suspect or if it was somebody that we're going to talk about. It could be one of these people we're mentioning. We have no idea. DeGase believes that there are multiple people who helped the suspect after the crime was committed. And in one of his interviews, he made it clear that they would be charged too. This will be important to remember when we talk about the theories later, just because some of them do talk about just one person being responsible and others mention multiple. The family said they were thankful for the officials who were involved in finding the remains of Brandon and fighting to find who was responsible for taking someone so special to them. I think this is so important to mention because we don't always hear about law enforcement having a good relationship with victims' families. It's kind of refreshing to hear about the law enforcement doing the right thing for the victim, even though the victim wasn't always on the right side of the law when alive. 
We always talk about how important it is for victims to get justice no matter their lifestyle choices because a victim is a victim. But sometimes we hear about cases where law enforcement just sweeps those under the rug. I agree. I think that so far the two cases that we've covered that have been in Douglas County, um, we've family and I feel like both of these cases he really want, wanted them to be solved and really wanted closure for the families. Um, I know the majority of the other cases in the future we're going to do, especially when we get to Arkansas cases, that's not going to be the case. So it's refreshing to not have to have these questions of why is law enforcement doing this? Why is family not happy with law enforcement? So I feel like that's a win in at least this situation. I agree. And some of the cases we're actually going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, law enforcement is not great. And we did hear about the case with Nicole Mallett where her family was completely unhappy with how their their um, daughter's case was handled. So, I mean, it just kind of depends, I guess, on the who has jurisdiction in each area. But we know when we get to Arkansas, it's going to be messy. So now I want to get into the rumors that I was able to unearth while talking to people about the disappearance of Brandon and potentially his murder. I know we're going to get a lot of heat for saying them because we don't have anything proving it, but like we mentioned last week, most of our cases we tell you about are heavy on the hearsay. So I want to remind everyone that the following information is 100% hearsay. We did reach out to the sheriff, Krista Gase, but he wasn't able to get files pulled in time for us to release this episode. I know he is really busy and responding to a podcaster is probably low on the priority list, but that does make our job a little bit harder just because it's hard to get information completely accurate when we are dealing with the collaboration of news articles and townspeople. Everyone answers to the best of their ability, but often we get conflicting statements, so we just have to piece things together the best that we can. So I agree, and like I mentioned before, I feel like, you know, some people might say, well, why didn't you save this episode and wait until, you know, Sheriff DeGase reached back out or waited until maybe a family member was ready to talk, but... I feel like that this is the perfect time to release this episode. We found everything that we can on this case. Um, yes, we're putting a lot of speculation and hearsay into it, but maybe if we just get what we have out there, get the rumors that we've heard out there, some someone, somewhere, whether it be family members, whether um, eventually Sheriff DeGase is able to talk to us again, will help put some of these, I guess, rumors to rest or confirm some of these rumors possibly. But I just feel like we're at the point in this case we have got to get what we have heard and what we know out there and then hopefully you guys can help us out and we can get some more information. We're not opposed to doing a mini episode on this afterwards, even if it's a couple of weeks from now, a month from now, we just think that it's important to get this information out. And honestly, we usually don't hear back from anyone until the episode is released. 
So even waiting around on people to respond, it doesn't always make a difference. Um, I know there are several cases we put off over and over again to try and get some more information from people. And it just didn't end up working out. And then after we would release them, we would get a bunch of DMs and responses on social media. But either way, we're not accusing anyone of anything. We're really just relaying the following information that we were told. So don't come at us saying that we are blaming or telling false information. We're aware that all of these stories could be totally made up, and there were some that we chose not to even include just because the individuals we spoke to asked us not to. So during one of the KY3 interviews, um, Officer DeGase mentioned that there were people who lied during their interviews with him. We were told that the two individuals that lied were Diane and Alexander. We aren't going to list last names just to give them a little bit of privacy. If they aren't involved, it isn't fair of us to bring unnecessary attention to them. But we did, ha we did have enough people bring them up and enough reason to believe that these were probably accurate statements. Most of the sources believe that drugs had a role in the disappearance of Brandon, and honestly, I do too. Brandon was supposed to be making better choices at the time of his disappearance, but it's so easy to go back to bad habits when you run into your old crowd. Diane and Alexander were both on the same property that Brandon was when he disappeared, but we were told that they were not together, so they can't alibi each other. Alexander was adopted from Russia around 6th grade, and he went to school at Skyline, so just nearby Ava. Um, and he was sometimes called Sasha. I don't know the reason behind this name reference or why different people called him different things. I really don't know a lot about him in general, but I do know that Brandon and Alexander were said to be like brothers. It isn't likely that Brandon would have expected Alexander to do something to him. If Alexander is responsible for Brandon's disappearance, it likely had something to do with drugs. One rumor was that Alexander and Brandon both owed someone drug money. Alexander was told that if he brought Brandon to the dealer, Brandon would get beat up, but their debt would be cleared. In this scenario, they think the beating went too far and Brandon died. This could make sense as to why Alexander lied during the interviews. Maybe he was scared for his own life. I did recently see a post on the Douglas County Sheriff's page saying that Alexander was facing charges on an unrelated crime. Um, do you have that post that you could read, Logan? Yes. So the post said, on April 29th, 2023, deputies Sam Evans and Aaron Box were patrolling on East State Highway 14, where Deputy Evans observed a vehicle traveling with a Missouri temporary license plate not properly affixed to the vehicle. Deputy Evans initiated a traffic stop and made contact with Alexander, age 31, of the Ava area. Deputy Box arrived to assist Deputy Evans. Upon a search in the Missouri Uniform Law Enforcement System, or MULES, it was discovered that Alexander was on probation. As a condition of his probation, Deputy Evans searched Alexander's vehicle. In the back seat on the driver's side, Deputy Evans located a Rust-Oleum spray paint can with a crystalline substance that filled tested positive for methamphetamine. 
Alexander was then placed in handcuffs and advised of his rights. Deputy Evans asked Alexander if he would provide a clean urinalysis due to him stating that the substance was not his. Alexander advised that he would not provide a clean urinalysis and the substance would test positive for methamphetamine. Alexander was transported to the Douglas County Sheriff's Department where he was placed on a 24-hour five-hold. On April 30th, a warrant was issued for Alexander through the Douglas County Circuit Court. Alexander remains in custody. Charges are as follows. Five possession of controlled substance class D felony failed to properly affix slash fasten to or maintain motor vehicle trailer plates infraction. Bond is set at 2500 cash only with bond conditions, CPS supervision with twice weekly drug testing, no drugs or mind altering substances included no drugs or mind-altering substances, including marijuana, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. curfew. So it sounds like either way, Alexander is conti- is continuing to mess around with meth, but I did see several comments on the post that he had been doing much better, and it seemed like people were really shocked at this arrest. This could have just been a bump in the road, and I hope that is the truth, but I know it's hard for people to stay clean once they're addicted to a substance. Brandon was also supposed to be doing better at the time of his disappearance, and then he ran into Alexander. I saw some people that weren't really shocked at this um, arrest. It was kind of just back and forth on what people thought, but I really do hope for his sake that he could make better choices if he wasn't involved. Another rumor was going around saying someone named Sean was involved or was there at the time of the murder. I don't know anything about this person's involvement, but I thought we might as well throw it out there. There were a couple of other names mentioned, people who we know were interviewed, but we didn't have any other information about them, and the sources just didn't want to give their names out. One of the sources mentioned um, another subject's name that I remembered seeing on the Douglas County Sheriff's page recently, so I feel like I should mention him specifically. I do not know this individual, but I remember there were a lot of comments on the post, so when his name was mentioned, I ran to the Facebook page. So the individual we were told about is named William Wolfe. One woman commented that she believed Wolfe was responsible for her father's death. Her father was staying with Bob when he died, when her father died. I believe that Bob is the individual that Wolfe is charged for murdering. I don't I didn't confirm this with her, but the guy that he ends up being arrested for murdering, he also went by Bob. Another commenter said that this was the third murder Wolf's name was involved in. We do know that November 2nd of 2022, so less than a year ago, a Douglas County grand jury indicted William Wolf for the murder of Clarence Clark, who went by the name Bob. Bob was murdered September of 2020. William is a 56-year-old man from Ava, Missouri. Logan, do you want to read this description that was posted on the sheriff's page? Sure. It said, Wolf was indicted for first-degree armed criminal action, abandonment of a corpse, tampering with a motor vehicle, five counts of unlawful possession of a firearm, and felony resisting arrest. Wolf's bond was set at 250000 cash only. 
The murder was investigated by the Douglas County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff DeGase advises that nearly every deputy in his office assisted in this case. At the time of Wolf's arrest on September 27, 2020, Wolf was currently on parole for delivery of a controlled substance, a case that was worked by the Douglas County Sheriff's Office in February of 2019. Wolf was returned to the Department of Corrections for violating his terms of parole pending these formal charges. So one of the individuals that we interviewed told us William Wolf should be a suspect in Brandon's case for several reasons. William lived near Brushy Knob around where Brandon disappeared and his remains were found. William was known for using meth and just being crazy in general. I cannot tell you how many people seemed less than shocked at this indictment. Several people claimed that William also killed Megan Manius, or Megan Manus maybe, and her unborn child with a hot shot to the neck several years ago. Authorities didn't have enough evidence to charge him, but they did suspect him. I'm sure all of our local listeners know, but a hot shot is what you use when working cows. It shocks them. So he literally shocked her to death. My gosh, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of her murder. I hadn't either. And I, when I was reading like his Facebook post, I saw all of those comments and it seemed like a lot of people knew her and knew that he murdered her, but it was just one of those things that they don't have enough evidence to prove it. Oh my gosh. Um, Wolf also apparently tried kidnapping Alexander once and someone stopped it. Alexander is one of the other potential suspects that we just talked about. William also supposedly would do anything for would do anything to anyone as long as he got his way and he goes to prison pretty regularly. I mean, he's 56 and hasn't changed his ways, so it doesn't seem like he's going to now, but this could be the last time that he goes because I would say that for murder, he'll be there for a while. Our source believes that he either could have assisted in Brandon's murder or just been the one that was solely responsible. It is it is like a really messy spider web of people who are connected to this case and how they're all connected to each other. They have multiple ties to one another and they all had the same bad habit, meth, which is a common denominator in our area. Um, yeah, I agree. Meth is a big issue in our area, especially in Douglas County, where this case seems to take place, where a lot of our kind of drug-related cases take place. And it does seem like it is kind of a spider web or a circle of the same people. And I feel like eventually some of those people will crack. So hopefully this happens with this case and we can get some justice for the family, just knowing that the person responsible is held accountable and hopefully behind bars one day. I think that a lot of the people mentioned are good um, good suspects or at least good leads in the right direction. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem likely that he really walked away from that house that night. Something probably happened there. Um, who was actually the one responsible? It doesn't seem like anyone knows for sure. 
I do kind of wonder if one person is responsible and the others were just there and they attempted to help cover it up or attempted to help hide his body because they were scared or just because they were also making really bad choices that day and didn't want to be in trouble for their own decisions that they had made. But either way, Brandon is still loved and missed by so many. If alive today, he would have been 31 years old. He could have turned his life around. He could have had a family. He could have been in a totally different place, but he was robbed of the chance from experiencing those things. I think this entire case is just really tragic and that there is so much unknown to the public. I do think that the authorities likely know more than they're telling, but they have to keep things close to the chest in this case in case there is a time that they can prosecute someone for Brandon's murder. I wanted to end the case with this quote from his elementary teacher. Brandon was a student of mine in Mountain Grove Elementary, and I remember his smile. He truly was a precious soul. I pray that he is at peace in his family as well. Jane Medlin. So that is what we have for you. Let us know your thoughts of this week's episode. Don't forget to follow us on social um, Bones, a true crime pod for Instagram and Bones, a true crime podcast on Facebook. You can leave reviews and subscribe to our podcast if you feel inclined. And you can also email us with any questions or case suggestions at bones, a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Bye, guys. Bye.